I can remember when I was a little boy going to church and being fascinated by the people coming in, sitting in their pews, bowing their heads for about 20 seconds, raising them up, and my little junior mind trying to work out what on earth they were doing. What on earth was going on as they did that particular act? It perhaps reminds us that there is something mysterious about prayer. It's not something, in a sense, we teach systematically how to do it. It's often something we come about our own particular patterns and ways by accident, in a way, because that's just the way that things have evolved. We learn, if you like, by the example of others, rather than anyone saying to us, this really is the way that we should be doing it. And if you've been to prayer meetings, things you'll realise that sometimes they can be ruined by noise, where people compete almost to harangue God with what they want to say to him. Contrasted with like the one that we had here on Wednesday lunchtime, when we spent more time in silence than we did when anyone was actually praying aloud. And it was a thing of great beauty. Prayer is integral to who we are. So what I want to do, which builds on what we did a, a couple of weeks ago, is today and in a fortnight's time, Think a little more about prayer. Today, we're going to, if you like, talk about the theory, and in a fortnight, we're going to talk about practice in a way to remind ourselves of how integral prayer should be to who we are and hopefully encourage ourselves to seek to be more prayerful as we continue upon our pilgrimage of faith. And using these two passages, I want to to highlight three things. Firstly, that prayer is built on humility. I really struggle when you go to prayer gatherings and you listen to people telling God what to do. As if they have all the solutions and know exactly what God should be about and therefore this is it and God in a way is expected to conform to their particular understanding. It can create huge difficulties. When I arrived in our first appointment in Nottingham, I had one church that was the land beyond the railway lines, a little small defined community, there was a little Methodist church and there was a Pentecostal church. And the Pentecostal church had been riven apart by the passing of one of their members who died quite young from cancer and at the funeral the pastor stood up and lambasted the congregation and said the reason this man died is because you haven't prayed enough. Isn't that awful? But that's what happened and that church was in free fall and and in a sense, rightly so, because they had missed the point entirely. I remember when Janet Clasper was, was, we were looking for Janet Clasper in a sense and one of the people in the book of profiles described themselves as a prayer warrior. And eight years on, I still can't work out quite what that means, but it seems to be in direct opposition to that little story that Penn read for us, which I think is one of the most important expressions of what prayer should be in the whole of Scripture. 
We talked a couple of weeks ago about trying to, if you like, be present, be immerse yourself in the story. Imagine you were there. And I just want you to picture the scene, if you can, of that Pharisee and that tax collector. Now, we think in the ancient world, the likelihood is they would have prayed aloud. They wouldn't have prayed in their, in their minds like we do. So the, the words would have come out. Imagine yourself in the crowd and looking at the Pharisee. And his prayer, when he begins by looking around everyone and says, I thank God I'm not like you. Because you're sinners, you're reprobates, you're adulterers. In a sense, he's saying, you're the scum of the earth and I'm fantastic. And just imagine how you would react to that man. I suspect he wouldn't be high up on your Christmas card list because he was odious. Contrast him to the tax collector who stands at a distance with his head bowed and all that he says is Lord have mercy on me a sinner. And Jesus reminds the crowd because they need reminding that it was the tax collector, the man who they would have feared, who they would have despised. It was him who was close to God and not the supposedly religious one. The beginning of prayer is to recognise who we are. Because only when we do that can we fully allow ourselves to sample something of God's potential. So prayer, in a sense, begins as a meditation of who we are before God. Because only, I think, when we stand in awe of God can we really begin that essential relationship. Only when we find those things that make us think about who God is can we really dare to approach the divine. In my morning devotions, I've, I probably told you, I, I use a Celtic order and part of it is that each day you're given three readings and a little piece to read. And it's great because it makes you think. It helps you to focus, to recognise what you are really all about as you come to God in prayer. It demands the humility to recognise that we are not right, that we don't know it all, that we need help and guidance. Prayer has to begin with humility, to pause and recognise God. And then we need to seek to get to the place where prayer becomes a state of being. 
In James Montgomery's magnificent hymn on prayer, he includes these words. While angels in their ways rejoice and cry, behold, he prays. Let's then move to the Philippians. And that great passage that the Revised English Bible translates a little unusually, more familiar perhaps might be, Rejoice, Lord, always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul is laying down what it is to be a community of joy. The Philippians were, if you like, the church that he would go to to be refreshed. All the other letters we have of Paul were either trying to instruct churches like that in Rome or were telling them off like with the Corinthians. Philippians is an outburst of joy. It's a church that in Paul's eyes were doing well, were getting it right, were having the impact that he hoped all the churches he dealt with were having. So in a way, that is reflected in the beauty of the the letter. There's not a huge amount of heavy theology. There's certainly certainly no telling off. There is, though, a consistent upbeat message that Paul is trying to encourage the Philippians to hear as they journey on their way and it culminates in this little passage in the midst of chapter 4. This exuberant joyful thing and having told them to rejoice almost the next thing he says is that the Lord is near. The Lord is is at hand. And therein lies the basis of this idea that comes elsewhere in the New Testament writings of the call to pray without ceasing pray. Which doesn't mean that we need to be perpetually on our knees, but what it invites us to do is to seek to be a people who live life as a prayer. who in a sense are constantly with God, who are ready to respond at a moment's notice. And to achieve that, take some effort on our part. I remember when when Louise and I got married, there was a survey done that was in the, the news about the number of words that we speak a day. And this survey claimed that women spoke 3,000 words a day more than men did, on average. And my wife is above average, of course. (laughs) And when we were first married, I can remember she would come home from work and she would download her day in great and intimate detail, even to the extent that she could, at night, fall asleep mid-sentence and then take up the story the next morning. And that was how it was to begin with. She is still above average, of course. But now, we sit more easily in companionable silence because there is no need, I suppose, because the relationship has evolved and grown, and either she's grown bored with me or realizes that I'm not always paying attention to what she says, or we've got to that state where you don't need to unburden everything that in a sense you focus on what's 
really important. And that's a picture, I think, of what this life of prayer should be like. It's not about being on your knees for three or four hours. It's not about attending every prayer meeting that is going. It's about being in that state where you are ready to pray when you need to. So an ambulance comes past and you pray. George Murray will tell you the story of how last week one day he encountered a little bird propped on a stone as he walked down into town and it caused him to pray with joy and delight. This state of being really encourages us to see the pathway that we're invited to inhabit, to remind ourselves in a way that part of what prayer is, is it's about looking and listening for God and the signs of God's grace. And being willing to name where we see that. Being willing to seek God's involvement. Prayer is an immense and glorious thing. And we are in danger of overcomplicating it rather than recognising it should be like breathing, part of who we are. Not requiring great and fancy words or amazing liturgies or whatever or spending hours on your knees. It's really about trying to be in tune with God 24-7 and looking for those things that should encourage us to share with him and sensing when he is trying to prompt us to take particular courses of action. To pray, in a sense, is to walk and talk with God. So there is momentum, there is offering, and there is receiving. So prayer needs humility. Prayer is a state of being. And then finally, to remind ourselves that prayer is a beautiful thing. I was brought up in Manchester and I can remember as a, as a lad being taken into Manchester and, and the contrast between the, the grimy streets of Manchester, were, which really weren't very pleasant with the facades that were like you know, most other high streets, but then you would look up and there are some beautiful buildings in Manchester. If you just look, it's a bit like Leeds in a way, it's a similar sort of place, but there is real beauty there if you will look for it. And prayer, in a way, is an exercise in finding beauty. Looking beyond the facades and seeing something that is deep and amazing. And the beauty of prayer comes from the fact that it is relational. It's about expressing love. Every time you or I pray for someone, whether we can bring their face to mind and call them by name, or whether it's somebody whose name we don't know, whenever we pray, it is an act of love. It is a beautiful thing. It's almost like a beam of light comes from you to wherever that person is and connects the two. 
It is a thing of stunning beauty. And if we have that in our minds, that when we pray for others, we show love, then we recognise, I think, what it's all about. And in a way, that can then remind us that there are those who are praying for us who, in a way, are participating in that act of love that is in our direction. And that's a wonderful and glorious thing that we are all, hopefully, about. When we sent you home a few weeks ago with your little lollipop stick and invited you to pray for the person who was on that, it was, in a sense, that connection of love that we were encouraging. Reminding all of us that part of what we are about are these expressions of love that hopefully unite us, encourage us, and enable us. If we tried to explain prayer in detailed form, we would get ourselves tied up in knots because it's a thing of God and therefore in a sense it's beyond our comprehension in a sense. But if we can see prayer as this act of love, then hopefully we see ourselves into the future. So that when we come with our confession and acknowledge how we've got it wrong, that in a way is our saying to God, you know, we love you, we've messed up. Please in love, remind us of your willingness to forgive. When we come to praise God, we're showing how we love him. And when we dare to pray for others, we're inviting God in love to be involved in whatever it is that that particular person is going through at any particular point in time. And that's hopefully something that we are aware of and involved in all the time. Not constrained to moments when we sit or kneel, but is part of our way of Christian being. To remind ourselves that when we pray, we are doing something beautiful. When we are prayed for, we are being offered something that is incredible. And when we turn to God, when we open ourselves to him, then we're inviting that beauty to be enhanced in the hope that something of our God reflects through who we are. So in a sense, the key things to praying, really, I think, are to be humble like that blessed tax collector. To be passionate, recognising that this is a great expression of love, and to be purposeful. Not in a sense of extended time sat in isolation and quiet,
although those can have importance, but in the sense of being ever ready to pray as things emerge and happen around us in the hope that by so doing we bring blessing and we receive blessing ourselves. We all meet people in need. And often that simple question of would you like me to pray for you brings a smile, a flicker of hope. They may never go near a church. They may have no great sense of what faith is all about, but the offer is a thing of beauty. Let's commit ourselves. Take this beautiful gift of prayer that God has given us and hope that as we journey forward it becomes more integral to who we are so that we become yet more loving and invite others to realise the God in love who will respond to their prayers. Amen.